Good morning. Welcome to Crosstown. We are so glad that you are here with us today. If you are visiting with us today, we want to welcome you. Thank you for joining us today. For those of you who may be visiting and don't know me, my name is Stacy McLean, and my husband Chris and I have had um, the privilege of calling Crosstown home now for almost two decades, which is crazy. Thank you, Scott. I appreciate it. I'm so thankful for big, strong men who can carry. Y'all, this thing is heavy. It is heavy. I tried to pick it up one day. I was like, yeah, no, I can't do that. Um, But again, my husband Chris and I have been calling Crosstown home for almost two decades, and it is a joy and a privilege to be with you guys. Our lead pastor, Paul Rienzo, has had the opportunity to go down to Florida and visit some family and watch his grandson um, in a tournament, and so we are glad that he was able to do that, and he's asked me to come and and to continue sharing with you guys in the middle of our Transformed series. How many of you guys are in a Transformed small group? Let me hear it. That's awesome. That's awesome. It's been transformative to say the least. If you are not in a transformed group and someone next to you just hooped and hollered, I just encourage you, be bold afterwards and ask them, tell me about that group. What is it? What's the big deal about it? Um, Because it's been really an amazing journey that we have been on together. And if you haven't been able to do that, we invite you. There's still time. We still got time left and we're throwing a big party at the end. So if you get in now, then you know, you got a couple of weeks and you get the big party at the end. That's pretty smart, isn't it? Um, I'm just saying. So we are in the middle of our series, Transformed, and um, we have been learning over this series that um, the Apostle Paul shares a verse with us out of Romans, and he's trying to help us understand that life can be good. Life can be good. But you see, where we are currently in our culture, especially the last two years, I don't know about you, but it's hard to see the goodness of God. There's been a lot of loss. There's been a lot of death. There's been a lot of turmoil. uh, There's been a lot of conflict. Even this past week, what's going on in Ukraine, it's heart-wrenching to watch. And it is hard to understand that we serve a God that is good. But the truth is, he is good. And that life can be Good. I read a recent study that said it's not so much that people don't believe God exists. Most people honestly do believe that there's a higher power, that God exists. But you know what they have trouble with? Whether or not he's really good. And if we're honest with ourselves, I think we've questioned the goodness of God at times in our lives. I have questioned the goodness of God at times in my life. And so that's why I'm so thankful for this verse because the world is always telling us to have this view about God, to have this view about the church, to have this view about the way we do things. But God's word gives us the truth. Listen to this verse out of Romans 12 too. If you've been with us, you probably can recite it, which is awesome. If nothing else, we're learning some scripture, which is real good, right? Um, It says, do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And it actually goes on to say, so that you will know the will of God, that which is good and pleasing. Don't you wanna know what the will of God is for your life? I mean, y'all, that is probably one of the number one things I have asked God in my life. What is your will? What do you desire for me? I want to know. 
Well, this verse is telling us the way we find out is not by conforming to the pattern of the world. The world wants you to conform. The world wants you to think about your health this way, your emotional status this way, your mental health, your physical health. I mean, could I tell you how many people on Instagram are telling me how to change my physical health by eating this or not eating that? And for every way that someone says, eat this way, there are seven people that say, absolutely not, don't do that. That's the worst thing in the world you can do. I mean, and... Again, I'm not knocking that. There are some benefits, but let's think about being transformed by the renewing of our mind. And we've learned over the last five weeks that transformation doesn't start in our behavior. See, I'm an action person. Give me the action and I'll step into it and I will do it. Transformation starts by renewing our mind. And how do we renew our mind? We learn what the mind of God is. And if you think, yeah, I don't know the mind of God. How can I know the mind of God? You know what scripture says? If you are in Christ, if you have given your life to Christ, you have the mind of Christ. What? That's good stuff. I don't feel like I have the mind of Christ, okay? There are times where I'm like, I don't know where my mind is. But this verse is encouraging us not to conform to the patterns of the world, but to be transformed by the renewing of our mind so then we will know what the will of God is. So we've looked over the last five weeks about how to think differently about our spiritual life, how to think differently about our physical life, how to think differently about our mental health, our emotional health. And this past week, we learned about how to think differently about our relational health. I don't know about you, but I really needed that one coming off of the pandemic and the quarantine and the isolation and to really kind of reset how I think about relationships. And that one challenged me this week. I'll I'll share that with you a little bit more. Um, So this week, we're going to talk about our financial health. (laughs) You're so glad you came today, aren't you? You're like, man, the lead pastor's not teaching. They're talking about money. Shoot, how can I like pretend that I just got an important call and I can leave? Hey, listen, I get it. I get it. Because when Pastor Paul said, hey, I need you to um, teach on this week, I'm like, okay, great. What is it? Finances. Are you kidding me? Do I have to teach on finance? Come on, come on, give me the other one. I don't want to teach on finances, but next week's vocational. I don't know, I don't even know what that means. So, I, you know, I'm like, okay, fine. I guess I'm stuck with finances. So I started doing some studying because that's what I'm going to talk about. And you know what I found out? Half the parables that te- Jesus teaches have to do with money. Jesus talked more about money than he did heaven or hell. Did you know that one out of every six verses in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, those are three of the gospels, one out of every six of those verses is about money? What? I was like, man, you would think after studying and learning that, that I would be like, yeah, I get to talk about it because it's what Jesus spent a lot of time talking about. And I love Jesus and whatever he loves, I should love. And no, I know, but I did it. I still did it, man. Pray for me because I still did it. Y'all, I still was like, come on, can't I talk about like the hypostatic union, transubstantiation, Armenianism? Give me any deep theological thing. That's a lot more fun to talk about than finances. I don't want to talk about finances. Plus, I, got, I, got, I know finances. I'm good, Lord. I, I want you to ask me to teach about something that I need to learn myself. He says, yeah, you might need to learn this one. <laughs> you, you need to learn this one. I was like, okay, okay. And so, because... 
I am in a transformed group and I was learning about relationships and how good friends are supposed to challenge you spiritually. (laughs) So I got a call from a friend and she said, hey, um, I feel like God wants me to tell you something. And I was like, okay, I'm ready. And she said, he wants you to turn off the music and he wants you to listen. And I said, okay, Lord, I'm listening. And he said, I'm giving you a gift to give to the church this week to talk about finances. Are you gonna step into what I wanna give them? So if you are here and you wanna tune me out because it has to do with finances and you think I'm gonna spend the next 30 minutes talking to you about how you should give your money to the church, I'm just gonna ask you to please press in because God has a gift to give to us today. He has something that he wants to give to us today. And I'm so thankful that I have friends that will challenge me to slow down and to listen to what he says. Because you see, I would tell you, oh, I, I'm good with finances. I mean, we, we are a generous family. If you know us, generosity is one of the things that um, we really try to live our life by. And as I was pressing in with the Lord this week and praying, he reminded me, no, no, Stacy. you are not generous. You do not have the right understanding of finances. You are married to a man who understands how to manage what I have given him well. And you just follow suit. But let's, let, let's check your heart in this this week. And so I'm thankful that my husband does understand rightly and that he teaches me all the time and that he's continuously teaching me about managing money because he understands what God's word says about it. And so I just wanna encourage you, if you think you don't need this lesson today, I promise God has a gift that he wants to give to every single one of us. He is not here to point his finger and tell us what to do with our money and how we should spend it just because he's a God who wants to be in control. No, he is a God who is full of love, full of mercy, and he truly wants to give you a gift of removing anxiety and fear and loss of control, marital issues. He wants to release you from those stresses and show you what his word says about how we are to manage our finances. So I invite you to just press in and listen to what he wants to say to us today because it truly is a gift that he's given us. So We're gonna be looking at a parable in Luke 16. And um, if you've got your Bibles, I encourage you to open and turn to Luke 16. If not, and you've got our app, all of the scripture will be in the app. It will also be on the screen behind me. But we're gonna be in this parable, Luke 16. And a parable uh, is just basically a story that Jesus used. When Jesus had his ministry and he was teaching, he would use parables. And um, it basically is he would take an idea that they knew pretty well and he would pair it with right beside something that is hard to understand, a difficult topic, a difficult message, a divine message. He would take an everyday experience that they would know and he would pair it with something that is a divine meaning, a harder meaning for us to understand. So that's what a parable is. And Jesus used them a lot. This one, y'all, is probably the hardest parable in the world. I'm just gonna say that because I'm the one teaching on it. So I get to say it is very hard to understand. It is. And I was talking to my husband about it and I said, oh my goodness, this is the parable I have to teach on. And I'll be totally honest, because why wouldn't I be, right? Um, It'd been a while since I'd read this parable and I was thinking, man, I don't think I've ever even read that parable before. And I just mentioned it to Chris in passing and he was like, oh, 
Oh yeah, that's the one about the dishonest guy who's shrewd. Yeah, man, I learned how to be shrewd when I read that parable. Oh, I hadn't even gotten to the part when I, about the shrewdness yet. So, so Luke 16, one is where we're gonna be. I wanna read it to you and just listen to this story that Jesus is teaching to the crowd that is before him. Luke 16, one, Jesus told his disciples, there was a rich man whose manager was accused of wasting his possessions. So he called him in and he asked him, what is this I hear about you? Give an account of your management because you cannot be manager any longer. The manager said to himself, what shall I do now? My master is taking away my job. I'm not strong enough to dig and I am ashamed to beg. I know what I'll do so that when I lose my job here, people will welcome me into their houses. So he called each one of his master's debtors and he asked the first, how much do you owe my master? 900 gallons of olive oil, he replied. And the manager told him, take your bill, sit down quickly and make it 450. And then he asked the second guy, how much do you owe? A thousand bushels of wheat, he replied. And he told him, you take your bill and you make it 800. And the master commended him, commended the dishonest manager because he had acted shrewdly. That's a pretty hard parable to understand because if I'm reading that the way I'm reading that, I think that Jesus is saying like maybe the master, the owner is God and God is commending this dishonest man for being shrewd. That doesn't make sense to me when I read that. I don't understand that. But don't worry. Jesus didn't always do this, but every now and then when Jesus would give a parable, he would give the commentary. He would explain what it means. So let's keep reading because Jesus tells us exactly what it means. He says, Jesus is now telling them, basically here, I told you the story and this is what you need to get from it. For the people of this world are more shrewd in dealing with their own kind than are the people of the light. I tell you, use worldly wealth to gain friends for yourselves so that when it is gone, you will be welcomed into eternal dwellings. Okay, thanks, Jesus. Did you just tell me I'm supposed to buy my way into heaven? Because my whole life I've been told that it was a free gift and salvation is not something I can earn. But what in the world are you talking about right here, Jesus? I mean, that doesn't, it, that didn't help me. That did not clear it up for me. So I was like, okay, I'm gonna have to read and study and understand what this means because it really does seem like when you first read that, that the rich man, the owner is saying, yeah, I'm so glad that this dishonest guy did this. Good job. And then Jesus is like, yeah, go ahead and spend your money on getting friends and buy your friends so you can get your way into heaven. Well, I, that surely can't be the answer because I, my understanding of the meta narrative of scripture of the past, the whole arcing, overarching message of scripture is God loves us and he has freely given salvation to us through his son, Jesus Christ. I know that I know that I know that that is true. So whatever I'm thinking about this means I must not be understanding it rightly. So we're gonna dig into it and we're gonna look at it a little bit more. He says that um, he, the master commended the dishonest manager because he acted shrewdly. Well, that's where my, one of my first problems with understanding it was, was shrewdly. I have always understood that if someone is shrewd, that they're probably like no good. You know, I'm just saying, you know, a shrewd person in my mind, I don't know why, I don't know if I'm the only one who thinks that, but when I hear the word shrewd, I think it's someone who's out for themselves, who wants to use you to get what they want for themselves. That's not what the word shrewd means. It means being smart and strategic. Oh, well, I wanna be smart and strategic. 
right? So we're going to take a quick look at how this dishonest manager, because he was dishonest because he was wasting the possessions. So we're going to look at how this dishonest manager was smart and strategic, how he was shrewd. The word shrewd gets translated in the New Testament also as the word wise. So he's saying, the owner was saying, hey, good job on being smart and strategic, being wise. Well, how was he smart and strategic? There were three things that he did. So what we're going to do is we're going to look at how he was shrewd. There are three quick things on how he was shrewd. Then we're going to look at what the parable teaches us not to do with our money. And then the last thing that we're going to do is have some takeaways on how we manage our finances, what the Bible tells us, what this parable is teaching us on how to manage our finances. And I know it's a lot of information today, but again, I want to just ask you, press in. Have your heart open to the gift that God wants to give to you today, because he really does. So looking quickly at the idea of being smart and strategic, what are the things that this dishonest manager did that were shrewd? Number one, he looked ahead. He said, oh man, I'm about to lose my job. I'm about to lose my job. And when I lose my job, I'm gonna lose my income. So I need to, have, I need to know what to do. He looked ahead. Are you looking ahead at your financial situation? Are you kind of just burying your head and pretending that, you know, the job termination's not coming, that the bill's not coming due? Look ahead. Don't be afraid of the future. See, sometimes we're afraid of the future, but guess what? We serve a God who is sitting in that future waiting on us, and he has a good future for you. So you can look ahead because you look up to the one who holds your future. So look ahead. That's being smart. That's being strategic when we look ahead. The next thing he did, he made a plan. This guy said, oh, I know what I'm going to do. I am going to go and I'm going to get these people to be in, you know, have favor towards me. I'm going to go do something nice for them. He made a plan. Do you have a plan with your finances? Are you smart and strategic in the way that you're using your finances? Do you have a budget? I don't have a budget. I don't personally have a budget. And that is not good. And that is something God convicted me on this week. It was like, no, you need, to have a, you need to have a plan. I mean, I have a plan for a lot of other things in my life. I, I plan my meals. My goodness, if I'm going to plan my meals, shouldn't I plan how I'm going to have the money to buy the food to make the meals? It only makes sense to have a plan. He did that. And then he acted quickly. He didn't say, well, one day, maybe down the road, when I get that settlement, when I get that bonus check, when I get that promotion, when I get this paid off, then I'll start figuring out what to do and I'll start acting. No, he looked ahead, he made a plan, and he acted quickly. That's how we are called to be shrewd with our money. That's how we're called to be smart and strategic with the finances that God's given us. Those are the things that we are called to do. Now let's take a look at some of the things that we're not supposed to do with our money. Because from this dishonest manager who was shrewd, don't forget he was also dishonest. And he showed us some things that we probably are not supposed to do with our money. Scripture tells us some things not to do with our money. The first thing it says is don't waste it. Go back to Luke 16.1. There was a rich man whose manager was accused of wasting his possessions. Your money really isn't yours. It belongs to God. We're going to talk about that in a few minutes. But don't waste it. Don't waste your money. I waste my money sometimes. I do. 
If you saw my closet, there are clothes in my closet that have tags still on them that I'm never going to wear. That was a waste of my money. I'm never going to wear it. There are so many ways that we can be tempted to waste our money. And we're going to talk a little bit more about what, it, what that really means when we get to those principles that we can apply every day to help us with it. The next one, don't love it. Go back to, to the parable in the same chapter in Luke 16, 13. Jesus goes on to tell them, no one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Don't love your money. That's hard for me. It's hard for me to understand what that concept looks like. I can tell you in, in word all day long, oh no, I don't love my money. But remember, it's the thought process that is transforming us. Have your thoughts been transformed about the way you see the money that you have? Don't love your money. Love God with all of your heart, with all of your mind, and with all of your soul. The next one, he says, don't trust it. Don't trust your money. I was talking to a friend this week, and she was telling me, um, about it, we were talking about it, because I I think this is probably one of the hardest ones for all of us, is not putting our trust in our money. Because guess what? Financial security is a real thing, you guys. It is. I mean, I'm just gonna be honest. You gotta have money to live. You gotta have money to put gas in your car. You gotta have money to pay your bills. You gotta have money to eat. You gotta have money to put clothes on your children. All of those things. So it's hard for us because we have to rely on money, but we don't have to trust it because we can put our trust in God. My friend was telling me this week, she said, yeah, you know, probably five or six years ago, I thought if I, if I had money, then I could handle any problem that I face. I mean, that's kind of sort of true, right? If you get a, a diagnosis, um, some medical diagnosis that you are afraid of, but you have a huge nest egg over here, well, you're just gonna go hire the best doctors in the world. If you got all the money and all the resources, well, you can just hire the best doctor in the world. So I'm trusting that my money is gonna provide the health care that I need over here. But we are challenged not to trust the money. Put your trust in God alone. We have a false hope in money, thinking that money is gonna solve it for us. It's not. It's not going to solve all the problems. She, she was telling me, she said, I mean, I thought if I had all the money in the world that no matter what problem I faced, I could be okay and I could work through it. And she said, in the last year, I have realized there's no amount of money in the world, no amount of money in the world that can fix the problems that I'm facing. Only my Savior, Jesus Christ, can. He's the only one. And it doesn't matter if you have $5 in your account or $500,000 in your account. He is the same God. And he is the one who is trustworthy. I love um, Pastor Ben. If you haven't met him, he's the one who's saying amen back there. You need to meet him because he's encouraging. And he tells me all the time, we serve a God who has um, a thousand cattle on a thousand hills. His resources are endless. Put your trust in God alone. He is where our real hope lies, not in that bank account. It doesn't matter how much or how little is in that bank account. It doesn't change how much God loves you and that you can trust him. He is reliable and he is trustworthy. So put your trust in him, not in your money. The the other one is don't expect it to satisfy you. Don't expect your money to satisfy you. 
I love this verse out of Ecclesiastes 5.10. It says, whoever loves money never has enough. Whoever loves wealth is never satisfied with their income. This too is meaningless. I mean, y'all, I didn't know that verse was in the Bible till this week. And I was like, I need to go read Ecclesiastes more because that is, that is good. That is so true about us. When we love money, we never have enough. They did a study on um, people from different economic backgrounds, anywhere from making about $25,000 a year to people who make over $500,000 a year. So a pretty wide variety. Do you know that categorically when they said, how much money do you need to be happy and to be satisfied, whether the person made $25,000 a year or whether they made 500,000 or more a year, categorically, you know what they all said? They all said they needed 25% more. What, really? One time they asked Howard Hughes, one of the richest men in the world, how much money does it take to make a man happy? Just a little bit more, that was his answer. Money will never satisfy you, it will never ever satisfy you. You know what God's word tells us? He will satisfy us. He says, I will satisfy your longings. I will satisfy you. When you hunger and thirst for righteousness, I will satisfy you. Are we hungering and thirsting for the righteousness of God? Are we hungering and thirsting for the American dream, for what the world is telling us to conform to? Because the world has a plan for our money. Oh, I promise you, Every advertiser ever has a plan for your money. Every phone company has a plan for your money, but it will not satisfy you. God's plan is the best plan for our money. So don't ever expect your money to satisfy you. So now that we've looked at ways not to manage our finances, I really wanna spend some time on some principles that we need to remember every single day. Every day, we need to remind ourselves of this because this isn't the kind of message that you're gonna hear one time and be done with it. This is something that we constantly need to think about because the world is screaming at us. The world is constantly telling us what to do, where to go, where to put our eyes. And so we need to ground ourselves in what God's word says. We need to allow his word to transform the way that we think about our finances. And if we will slow down, and we will reevaluate our thought process based on what the word of God says, I promise you, I promise you with 100% confidence, you will reduce your stress, your anxiety, your anger, your feelings of loss and control, and maybe even some marital issues that you are facing. Because God wants to give us a gift today. He wants to give us a gift to relieve that stress and anxiety off of us about our finances. I mean, honestly, if you're like 85% of Americans, you're living paycheck to paycheck and you're thinking, I'm not sure how we're gonna make it and you're stressed out and you're thinking about your money. If you're already spending your time thinking about your money, it's just kind of going around in your head and you're worried and you're constantly like, oh, I don't know how we're gonna do this. I don't know how this is gonna happen. Why, why don't we just keep thinking about our money, but thinking about it from the God who's given it all to us? That's what I'm encouraging us to do. So number one, every day I need to remember it all belongs to God. Everything I have belongs to God. And I need to remind myself of that every single day. 
Because otherwise I get arrogant and cocky and think, look at me, I worked hard. Because I know some of you are thinking, that girl don't know what she's talking about. I'm the one who puts in the 60 hours a week. I'm the one who got the masters. I'm the one who worked hard to get the promotion. I'm the one who earned it. It's my money, I earned it, I did it. It's my time that I sacrificed. And you're right, that is exactly true. But who gave you the body to do it? Who gave you the breath in your lungs to get up every morning? Who gave you the mind to understand? Who gave you that? God. And everything we have belongs to him. And I have to remind myself of that every single day, that everything I have belongs to God. It's interesting, um, in Timothy's letter, he talks about money. There's so many places in scripture that you'll find um, different different words of wisdom on money, but Timothy says that we brought nothing into this world and we can take nothing out of this world. He goes on to say, godliness is not for financial gain, but godliness with contentment is great gain. See, godliness for financial gain, no, that's not what it's about. Some people will teach you. There, there is a prosperity gospel that will teach you. If you give your money to the church, God is gonna bless you financially and it's gonna be amazing. There are some truths to that. There are some principles to that. But if your sole purpose is to get financial gain, uh uh-uh. Jesus is in Luke 16 talking not only to the disciples, but he's talking to the Pharisees at the time. And the Pharisees were those religious leaders um, of the Jewish religion. They were the leaders and they had power and they had authority. And you know what else they had? A lot of money. And they loved money. Jesus says to them in Luke 16, I see that you love money. Don't love your money. Don't love your money. Everything we have belongs to God. And Timothy is reminding us that it is godliness with contentment that is for great gain. Be content. Don't constantly strive after getting more. If you can shift your mindset to the idea that everything you have is on loan to you from God, you're gonna worry about money a lot less. If you can get in your mindset that everything that you have, every dime in your bank account is on loan to God, you know what else it helps you understand? Every debt that you have must be his too. If all the money I have is his, then all that debt must be something that he's gonna take care of too. If everything we have has been given to us by God, and again, um, my husband, amazing, able to understand this. A few years ago, we had a home improvement project that we needed to get done. It was a simple little project and I didn't think it was gonna be very expensive, so I didn't get a quote ahead of time. That's not being shrewd, by the way. That was not smart or strategic. And so when the project finished, I thought it was gonna be X amount of dollars. It was about five times the amount that I thought it was gonna be. That was dramatic for me at the time and my heart sunk to my feet and I thought, oh my goodness, how? Okay, so I wrote the check out. And I remember calling Chris and just saying, hey, babe, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. I don't know how else to tell you this, but it cost five times what we thought it was going to cost. And you know what he said? It's all God's anyway, and I guess he wanted him to have it. So there you go. I'm okay with it. Okay. Okay, Lord, I got that one. It all belongs to you, doesn't it, Lord? It all belongs to you. So we're called not to waste our money. Um, back in the parable, it says there was a rich man whose manager was accused of wasting his possessions. See, the manager, it wasn't the manager's money. It was the owner's money and he was managing it. And that's the truth about all of it for us. 
We are all managers. Some of you are like, sweet, I just got a promotion. I'm a manager. And others of you are like, "Uh uh-uh, I am the president, the CEO, and the founder of this, and I don't want to be in management. I'm in control. Nope. We are all managers. Everything we have has been given to us by God, and we get the opportunity to manage it, to steward it. We are managers of what God has given. Again, Shift your mindset on this. Shift your thinking. Allow him to transform your thought process on this, and it will change the way you see your finances. Number two thing I need to remind myself every day, God is using money to test me. I don't like that one. I don't like taking tests. I don't want to be the object of the test. But let me tell you what Jesus says in Luke 16 when he's continuing to talk to them about the parable. Jesus, right after he tells the parable, he says to him, whoever can be trusted with very little can also be trusted with much. And whoever is dishonest with very little will also be dishonest with much. So if you have not been trustworthy in handling worldly wealth, who will trust you with true riches? And if you have not been trustworthy with someone else's property, Who will give you property of your own? See, I don't like the idea that God is testing me with money, but I think one of the things I've discovered is he's not testing me so he knows how it's gonna turn out. He's testing me so I know what I know. I mean, when you take a test in school, yes, you're getting a grade on it, and yes, it matters, but you know what else you discover? You know what you know. Oh, I know that I know that, or ooh, I didn't know that. And so maybe God's testing us so that we can understand how we're doing with our finances. But he knows, he knows that the key to our worship and our heart really lies in where our treasure is. That's why scripture says, wherever your treasure is, that is where your heart is. Wherever your treasure is, that is where your heart is. You wanna know where the McLean household puts a lot of their treasure? In our food. We love to eat in my house. And if you went through my bank account right now, you would see a lot of money that is spent on food because we love food. It is something that we spend our money on. Hopefully, if you looked at it as a whole, that's not where all of our treasure is. Hopefully, we have our eyes on eternity. But if you really wanna know, that's the true test. It's a gold standard because how you see your finances, how you see your money affects almost every other thing in your life. It's how you view almost every other thing in your life. All right, number three, money is a tool to be used for God's purposes. Money is a tool to be used for God's purposes. Again, I can brag on my husband because I'm married to him and I'd be totally honest with you, but he totally gets this. He does. He's always said that his truck is a tool. He's like, it's just a tool. Whether it's the truck or the house or our boat, whatever it is, he's like, it's just a tool to be used. Money is a tool. That's hard for us to understand, I think, because growing up, I was taught money is evil. Anybody else? Doesn't the Bible say money is evil? No. It says the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. Again, Don't love money. See money as a tool. Money in and of itself is not evil or good. It's in the hands of the person that has it, whether or not it becomes evil or good. So money is a tool 
to be used for God's purposes. He's given us resources to be used. I love that Timothy goes on in that scripture where he was saying, you know, you can't bring, you can't, you didn't bring anything in the world, you're not gonna take anything out. Timothy goes on to say, when we are eager for money, we have wandered from the faith. And those who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap into many foolish and harmful desires. That's 1 Timothy 6. See, don't fall in love with the riches of the world. Don't fall in love with money. Fall in love with God, and you will then begin to see your money as a tool to be used for the purposes of God. So if you or me, and I was sitting there, I would say, well, then tell me what the purpose of God is. What's God's purpose? God has one singular purpose, and his singular purpose is for every person that he has created to be able to remain and dwell and spend eternity with him. That is the purpose of God. That is his singular purpose. And everything we're doing here in this life is testing us for that purpose so that we can spend eternity. James tells us that this life is but a vapor, a mist, here today and gone tomorrow. But we will dwell in eternity if we are in Christ with him forever. And that's his purpose. It's his desire that none shall be separated from him and none shall perish So that brings me to the fourth point. Use your money for God's purpose, which is to get people into heaven. Remember our parable in Luke 16, 16, 9 says, I tell you, use your worldly wealth to gain friends for yourselves so that when it is gone, you will be welcomed into eternal dwellings. Now again, he is not telling us to buy friends or to buy our way into heaven. What he is saying is use the money that I have given you as a tool And increase your influence with those around you with an eye on eternity. So that when your money is gone, because there will come an end to it, here today, gone tomorrow, Scripture actually tells us that it can sprout wings and fly away like an eagle. It's in Proverbs. Crazy, right? But he's saying to us, use your money for eternity, for eternal purposes. And so Um, Coming up in July, our youth are going to go on a youth trip for a week, and it's kind of expensive, I'll be honest. Last year, I had a senior in high school and an eighth grader, and we paid for both of them to go on the youth trip, and it was pretty expensive. The other place, one of the other treasures where my heart lies is um, traveling. I, I love to travel and go on vacation, so I was like, man, I don't know if I want to spend that much money on sending my kids to a water park in Tennessee. Like, really, what can happen? You guys... It changed my kid's life forever. My kids are not the same today because we chose to spend some money to send them to a water park in Tennessee for a week where they were with people from this church that volunteer their time. We have some of our youth leaders are volunteers. They work full-time jobs and they are taking a week of their vacation to go stay in a water park with our teenagers so that they are immersed in all the things of God. They will worship, they will study God's word, they will have fun and it makes an eternal difference. And you know what I thought this year? Sweet, I only got to pay for one kid because my other one's off in college and I don't have to pay for her. You know what God said? Spend your money with your eye on me. So you know what my husband and I are going to do? We're going to pay for our son to go and we're going to donate what we would have paid for my daughter to go. That's not to brag on me and say, ooh, good job. No, I'm being obedient. I want to keep my eye on eternity. I don't want to fall in love with my money. I want to fall in love with my Savior. And so we invite you to be a part of that. Maybe you're someone who's got an extra 20 bucks and you say, you know what? 
I'm gonna do that because it's not about how much money it is. And if you wanna do that and you wanna be a part and you wanna donate, you can go to our app. There's a way that you can donate to give money to kids who otherwise wouldn't be able to afford to go on this trip. But it really isn't about the money. Earlier this week, my husband bought a Bible for a guy. And the guy probably could have afforded the Bible himself. I mean, it's not that expensive. Bibles aren't that expensive, right? It's not about the cost. It's the eye on eternity. You know what the reality is? This guy had the financial resources to buy the Bible, but he probably didn't have the courage to go buy the Bible. And so Chris used what God gave him in influence and in money to give this guy a Bible. And let me just tell you, my Bible is priceless to me. It is absolutely one of the most precious things that I own. I love my Bible and it's priceless. So spending our money with an eye on eternity is what we're called to do. It's crazy. Um, Last year in October, God was speaking to me about, you know, just kind of stepping out and having more courage and being bold because I have prayed, God, give me eyes to see people, especially women, the way you see them. And so he told me back in October, I see in you, those letters, the letter I, the letter C, the letter N, the letter U. And I was like, oh, that's cool. And I, he was telling me that Ephesians 2.10 says, We are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good work that he has created beforehand for us to step into. And so I was thinking about it and praying about it. And I got this idea that I would buy these necklaces and that they would say, I see in you on the front and on the back, they would have Ephesians 2.10 written on them. And so this was back in October. I was thinking about it, praying about it. Well, I talked to Laurel who plays guitar up here and also can get me these necklaces. That's what she does in her day job is she um, sells swag and it's awesome. So I talked to her, we were back and forth about it. Do you know what? Of all the timing in the world, when I came into my office today, those necklaces had just arrived. They're on my desk today. I mean, how good is God to remind me? Yeah, no, invest what I have for his purpose. So now over the next year, I'm gonna be looking for people that need to be reminded that they are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus to step into the good work that God has for them. I might just give myself one of those necklaces today. I don't know, maybe. (laughs) The other thing we're told to do is that we're gonna, I need to remind myself, one day I'm gonna have to give an account to God. I'm going to have to stand before him just like the guy did, like, The owner called him in and said, hey, I need to know. Give me an account of everything you've done. I'm going to have to answer for what God gave me and how I spent it. I mean, do you remember the parable of the talents? The guy who invested, he said, well done, good and faithful servant. It's not about how much or how little you've been given. What are you doing with what God's given you? Because one day you're going to have to say, yeah, this is what I did. Um, My friend who I was telling you about earlier, who told me about her, her issues with money and kind of thinking that through. I walked in her house the other night and you know what's painted on her kitchen wall? I mean, floor to ceiling, it's a chalkboard wall. And you know what it says? It has the word steward written across the top of it. And underneath it, it says, utilizing and managing all resources God provides for the glory of God and the betterment of others. That is forever before her eyes when she walks in her kitchen. When I walked in her kitchen, I was like, oh, that's what the Lord's saying to you. It's on her wall for everybody to see that she wants to utilize and manage the resources that God's given her and her family for the glory of God and the betterment of others. And then to be reminded every day, if I am faithful with a little, God can trust me with much. And the truth is, 
We don't like that. We don't want to start with the little beginnings. Zechariah 4.10 says, Do not despise the small beginnings, for the Lord rejoices to see the work begin. See, if we are honest with ourselves, we despise the small beginnings. I despise the small beginnings. I'm going to start training for a half marathon. I don't want to run just a mile. I don't want to. I want to run the 13 and get the glory at the end and the medal and all the stuff and be like, yeah, look at me. But if I don't start with the small beginning of just going out and running a mile, I'll never be able to do the 13 miles. If my husband had waited until he graduated college, until he graduated med school, until he finished residency, until he had been practicing medicine for a decade, if he had waited until that end to start honoring God with his finances and managing his finances according to God's word, we would be so maxed out on credit cards, we wouldn't have a dime to share with anybody else. But when my husband had negative $5 in his account, He was honoring God, managing his money, what he had and what he didn't have. Don't despise. Don't despise the small beginnings. Some of you today, you're like, yes, I want to be that person on stage teaching. I want to be the leader of that ministry. I want to be the owner of my company. I want to own my own house. I want all this stuff at the end. Don't jump to the end. Don't despise those small beginnings. Start where you are today. Start where you are today. Because today is an opportunity for you to begin honoring God with all that you have. We're about to move into this time of expressions. And this is really kind of the crux of it. This is the climax of what we've been doing today. This is an opportunity for us to respond to what God has been saying to us. And so as we move into this time of expressions, I want you to just kind of ask yourself some questions. Allow yourself to think about this. Does God really have first place in my life? Does he really? Do your, do your thoughts and your actions show that? Are you managing your money well? Your opportunities? Has God given you an opportunity and you're just afraid to step into it? Manage it, manage it well. Does the way that I manage my money show that I can be trusted with more? As we reflect on these questions today, I'm gonna lead us in a prayer in a minute. And so during this time of expression, Maybe for you, this is a time where he's asking you to re-surrender something. We invite you, write it down and re-surrender it to the cross. Give it to him again and again and again. Or maybe for you today, your finances are all over the place and you have no idea where to begin. We invite you to pray with our pastors and elders. They will pray a word of encouragement, a word of peace over you today, a blessing over you today so that you don't despise where you are, that you can start today. Or maybe for you today, it is a time and opportunity to worship God with your hands open, saying, God, all that you've given to me, I give back to you. Or maybe today, It's a time to remind yourself of the priceless gift that Jesus Christ paid for us on the cross, his body and his blood that was poured out for the forgiveness of our sins. We invite you to come and partake of communion today if you need to be reminded of that priceless gift. But wherever you are today, I invite you to join me in this prayer and to respond to what God is saying. Father, we thank you that everything that we have has been given to us from you. God, give us the courage to trust you with everything that you have given us. We sit here today with our hands open so that what we have can be easily taken, but also so you can give us more to give. May we honor you 
with all that we have, Father, recognizing that you are the provider of all of our needs. Father, thank you that you remind us that we are not to presume a position of authority, but to assume a posture of humility. Thank you, God, for meeting us today. Thank you for the gift that you have given to us today. In Jesus' name, amen.